I grew up at Google, right? I was there for, for so long. I, I became a leader there. I, I became a leader of leaders there. I was spoiled. I was trained. I was just very, very grateful. So I think overall, I would say my Google experience is even better, you know, than what folks might say about it. I think like any company, there's things to really love. And Google has just, it treats employees really well. You work with the best and brightest of the whole world. There's that culture and belief that anything is possible. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking, and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. My guest on today's show is the newly appointed Chief Revenue Officer for Domain, John Fung. In a prestigious career, he's worked for Google, Uber, and still found time to volunteer as a piano player and guitarist for his daughter's fifth grade class. So, John, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Sam. Great to be here. Yeah, so you're a guitarist. I love playing guitar too. How long have you been playing? I've been playing guitar quite badly, actually, for over a decade. I kind of just strum along. Uh, my main vibe is kind of piano. Uh, and because I can play piano by ear, um, I can strum guitar chords without needing to read the music, but my actual technique is, is pretty terrible. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a three-chord strummer too, so, um, so <laughs> we, we, we could jam pretty well together. <laughs> um, yeah. So I have to start by saying that, um, you know, we've done a bit of research on on you and um, I think our team has collectively voted your resume one of the most impressive we've ever researched. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, yeah, it reads pretty much like a who's who of all the major companies with a big impact around the globe. So before we sort of dig into some of the, um, some of the really, um, you know, interesting bits for real estate agents, can you give us a little whistle-stop tour of your career sure. to date? Sure, sure. So I uh, grew, grew up in Sydney, uh, had the, the chance to grow up in Sydney's North Shore, went to Sydney Grammar and Knox Grammar School and, and, and just was very, very fortunate to have just a very happy childhood, uh, lots of learning, lots of different things. Uh, when I was at 15 or 16, I, I kind of had this real, uh, I, I guess let's call it a calling that I really wanted to, to serve either in the nonprofit or the church. Uh, and it was very much like how I'm just a high schooler, just uh, in, in 10th grade. And I'm like, hey, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. So much so I actually want to kind of drop out of school and, and kind of go to Bible college or Africa or something crazy like that. My, my, my dad said, hey, you know, like, why don't you just get speak to some wise people uh, and see what they think? And uh, I did. And the, the general feeling was, hey, look, John, like you want to be a leader. Why do you learn from some of the best places in the world how to be a leader? And then once you've done that, you can take that anywhere you like, church, business, family, whatever it is. And that seemed very compelling to me. And so I was lucky enough to get accepted to UNSW's kind of co-op program to study kind of information systems. And that's where I got a really good blend of business and technology. And that kind of was this interesting scholarship course where you learn about leadership. Uh, and so a lot of my choices from that time career point was how can I learn the most about leadership possible? Um, I was very fortunate to get into McKinsey, uh, which is this consulting company, which tries to pitch itself like as the CEO factory. We learn about leadership. You do these really interesting projects with amazing people. Did that for two years. Uh, part of what they do is after you've been an analyst for two years, you kind of 
choose the educational institution of your choice uh, and you try and get into it uh, and, and, and basically go away and learn and then come back, you know, kind of in the industry. So I sent my applications away to do an MBA in a bunch of different places. Uh, while, I was, uh, while I was doing that, I was in Africa for six months doing consulting, you know, to the nonprofit sector and, and testing out what it'd be like, you know, to kind of live and work abroad in Africa for a while. Um, got into Stanford uh, to do my master's education and an MBA. Um, and that was an amazing time to be in Silicon Valley. This is back, you know, 15 years ago. And despite having grown up in basically, you know, St. Ives and Gordon and never really left, you know, for, for my life, having spent two years in America, kind of the whole world opened up, you know, for me. And guided by this principle of like, how do I find the, the, the kind of these leadership experiences that would really challenge me as a leader and help me lead organizations and people? Um, I tried to find organizations that I really respected and opportunities that would allow me to be a leader. And Google was the place where I happened to get an internship uh, in 2006 uh, and then uh, was offered a management position uh, back in 2007 to lead a, a technical team, you know, in Ireland in their European uh, operational headquarters. So ended up staying the next 13 years uh, at Google, um, had, a, had a really amazing time just working in different areas. And we'll talk more about that later, uh, being a leader and a leader of leaders than a director uh, and then what happened was, as part of that, I moved from Ireland after six years uh, back to Silicon Valley and spent the last seven, eight years there, uh, first with Google, uh, and then uh, Uber hired me to kind of leave their global account management, you know, uh, you know based, out of, based out of Silicon Valley. So I spent two years there uh, before accepting this job uh, with Domain about three months ago, uh, and we've just arrived back in, back in Sydney a few months back. Amazing. And I mean, there's some, it is, it really literally reads like the who's who, Telstra, McKinsey, Uber, Google, um, you know, some amazing places there. And, and you just mentioned that you've recently turned to Australia from the US. So yeah. what's the last few years been like in the US with, with the pandemic and, and all of that sort of thing happening? Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty lonely. I and mean, this is the first thing I'd say. Uh, we, we're lucky enough to have a, a bunch of kids. We've got a as we said, we have two young daughters. Uh, and so in some ways, uh, we were fortunate that we could kind of come in and do both kind of looking after the kids at home. And a lot of the American companies are very supportive of work from home, I mean, particularly Google and Uber. So very fortunate we were able to kind of do that. Um, it has been difficult, you know, where you see a lot of those traditional community structures come off, whether it's, you know, church or clubs or sports or things like that. And particularly in Silicon Valley, there has been much more of a kind of a lockdown, a voluntary lockdown mentality than we probably saw, you know, in other parts of America and other parts of the world. So I'd say it's been a special time. There's been a lot of benefits in being home all day, you know, with the kids, but it's been lonely. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, coupled with some of the tensions that you've seen from afar in America, I think it's been a difficult time in the country and a difficult time for, for families like ours. Yeah, I think it, it is. We're going to look on up back on this period as a period where we've all learned extreme resilience, I think, mm. um, you know, because we never know what's around the next corner. Yeah, 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 it definitely has been. And, and I, I think learning resilience has been a privilege, you know, for us, because I think we've had such an amazing support network. You know, we had my wife's family, you know, located near us. We had very, very supportive employers. I think what I think about, and I'll just index on America in particular, be that's where it have been the last decade or so, uh, it's heartbreaking when you think about folks that do not have that same uh, financial or, or, or family support network, uh, whether it's through loneliness because of old age or sickness, or whether it's lack of support in a very demanding young family environment. So it's been a very, very difficult time. Uh, yes, we've all learned resilience, and I've been, I feel a bit spoiled that we got to learn resilience with support, and there's a lot of people who, who probably had to get by with much less. Yeah. 
So let's talk about disruption because it's been a theme mentioned in real estate a lot for the last few years. I'm sure you've heard the term Uber of real estate and things uh-huh. like <laughs> things like that. Everybody was an Uber for a while there and, and you've well you've worked for the actual Uber and some well known disruptors. So yeah. um, we just talked about Google and yes. you've described working for Google as a dream come true. Did you know um, Jason Pellegrino when you were at Google? Like, is that where you guys crossed paths? Actually, it wasn't where we crossed paths. We we knew of each other because uh, he was leading up Australia New Zealand. I was on the leaders in our cloud business. We'd both been there in that, over a decade. Uh, so we knew of each other, but never actually formally crossed paths. We didn't have actually have much business in common. It's funny how things work out though, hey? <laughs> it is, it is. I know, I think there was a lot of mutual attraction because I, you know, what he was looking for in a CRO and what I was looking for in a CEO to follow, uh, we kind of had really vetted each other out. Uh, I mean, a lot of mutual friends, obviously, to kind of de-risk the proposition for both of us. So that was really nice. Yeah, amazing. And so I remember I interviewed Jason on the podcast, um, mm. you know, it must have been probably a year and a half ago when the yeah. lockdowns just lifted. Um, and he said that he enjoyed his time at Google very, very, very much. And I just um, I thought I'd ask you the same question. Is working for Google um, everything people say it is in <laughs> terms of excitement and, you know, creativity and innovation? It is pretty amazing. I grew up at Google, right? I was there for, for so long. I, I became a leader there. I, I became a leader of leaders there. I was spoiled. I was trained. I was just very, very grateful. So I think overall, I would say my Google experience is even better, you know, than what folks might say about it. I think like any company, there's things to really love. And Google has just, it treats employees really well. You work with the best and brightest of the whole world. There's that culture and belief that anything is possible. And at the same time, Google's now a company of over 100,000 people, right? There are the, the normal things about bureaucracy and hierarchy that you imagine would be frustrating for folks. And a lot of the Google experience depends on your particular situation. But if you've ever seen the movie Internship, uh, the Internship uh, with Lim Swan and, and the like, uh, even though a lot of those things aren't necessarily how Google is day to day, I think the vibe of that, that feeling of belief, that feeling of fun, that feeling of crazy work and anything is possible, that is something that still is very true of Google, uh, at least when I left a few years ago. Yeah, actually, I, I do know that movie, I, and it took me a while because I was thinking, are you talking about the Robert De Niro one and, you know, with <laughs> Anne Hathaway, Hathaway where he was the intern? Movie. Yeah, and then I was then I was thinking, oh, actually, no, I do remember that one where they sort of, they, they got into Google even though, you know, that everyone was wondering how the hell they got in. <laughs> it was true. It was, and, and I think Google's actually done a nice job of, I think the interview process is a bit different to, to what they describe, but they really try and, and get a very broad range of perspectives, as does Uber and as does Domain, uh, to really kind of bring the best and brightest of all kinds to the table. When you started at Google, you were the youngest director of Google Cloud. And by the time you finished, you were the global director of partner sales and strategic um, alliances, leading a huge team of people. Give me a bit of a, you know, like what are some of the leadership skills that you learned there that you think would translate into the real estate world? Sure, sure. You know, I think the first thing is just around people. Like you've got to treasure your people because you are nothing without your people. Uh, and particularly the more the bigger organization you lead, like you can't be across everything. You can't know everything. It's all about how good the people are that you can attract and retain, right? And so you've got to treat your people like gold. Uh, and you've got to make it a place where it is rational for them to make this their home for the next few years because it's the best place where they can be rewarded and be trained, you know, and, and, and manage a family or whatever life they want to lead. So I think that's the first thing. And I think Google, 
it really did set a lot of trends with regards to how to value people. A lot of it was about the perks, but really there's a really big professional development story and, and career mobility story that, that embeds that. I think in real estate, I mean, if there is a if there is a, 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 a an industry more than tech that requires relationships, it is real estate. Real estate relationships are everything here. You know, and the more I get into the Australian market, that's how deals are done. That's how deals should be done. And so I think whether it's relationships with your partners or, as I'm talking about here, with the people who you're hiring uh, and working for you, you've got to treat them like gold. That doesn't mean that you're not tough with them. You've got to be a great coach. You've got to make expectations really clear. Because actually great people want to be the best they can. And that includes kind of tough love, you know, when that's warranted. But you have to create an environment where people feel it is the best place for them in the world to develop, build their families and careers. That's kind of one piece which I think is very relevant. And Domain has been a lovely environment to come and do that and, and bring some of my craft. Then the other really big thing is around kind of partnership. You mentioned my title. You know, I was the director of, of, of partnerships for kind of Google Cloud. And the way that works is Google Cloud competes with Microsoft Azure, with AWS, you know, with some products like, uh, you know, Google Workspace, which is like Gmail and Docs, other things like Google Cloud Platform and Chromebooks where people run their business. But the way that my team sold, we have like 300 salespeople, is we primarily sold through partnerships. We, we, we find whether it's big companies, uh, you know, like, like Deloitte or Accenture or some of these Australian system integrators, you know, like Firehead and things like that, who, who sell our Google products. We don't sell to the customer. We sell through kind of like, uh, you know, uh, intermediaries, uh, partnerships like this. And it's very similar with domain, right? Uh, even though there is an end customer who's paying for domain as part of the VPA, it's ultimately agent who's advising the customer on how to best the vendor, how to best sell their home and advising which other marketing or software solutions to best help them. And so for me, I grew up in that environment. I spent 10 years working on partnerships and just like treating, you know, your, your, your team members like gold, you've got to treat your partners like gold. You can't just kind of like cut them out when you feel like it. They've got to feel they can build a sustainable business on your platform. And that was what I got a chance to build and lead at Google. And that's very similar to what the business that Domain is trying to run today. You've always got to be educating in, in that sort of partnership space. I remember, um, you know, back to my time in the in the dot bomb era where I was working for, Cis <laughs> working for Cisco and, and managing Optus as a client, you know, like it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, Optus implementing things. It was exactly. always, you know, the, 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 the clients of Optus that we had to be mindful of. And so, you know, I think yeah. that parallels a really interesting one. Yeah. yeah Cisco is, a, is, is an amazing company. Uh, we, when I was researching and building the partner program at Google, we would research them because they've spent decades doing describing, signing up partners like Optus. And for, for Cisco, it's all about how do I help not make Optus ecstatic, but Optus's end customers, that they would just love Optus and go, wow, Optus, you give us such great networking. How do we spend more money with you? Uh, and making Optus the hero. And I think that's very much what I was brought on board to do with Domain. You know, agents, you know, they are building their business. They have their end customers. How do I make sure that there is less friction, more glory, more knowledge, more love that customers can shower on, on, on the agents who are, who are my customers in this case? Uh, that's what I was brought on board to, to help continue. So speaking of, um, you know, sp spreading love and loving your team, I actually heard that you made a point of sitting down with each member of your team every six weeks to have two-way yeah. feedback sessions. So what was, so some leaders, look, I get, you know, even as a leader myself, sometimes it's frightening, you know, you know, I, I, I think about Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth, like, you know, but you, <laughs> as, as, as a leader, you kind of need to. Um, what was the thinking behind your feedback sessions and how did you run them to get the greatest effect out of them? A lot of those sessions come out of, uh, honestly, decades of failure as a manager. 
Uh, I've had the chance to be people manager in some capacities since 2005 and full-time since 2007. I've studied it uh, and I've, I've probably had the, the privilege of spending 10,000 hours you know, as a manager. And during that time, I made so many mistakes. And my, my biggest mistake basically comes down to this. I'm not meeting the needs of the people who are working for me. And I think I am, but I don't know that I'm not. Right? And, and it comes down to that, that kind of, you know, the classic blind spot, whether you don't know what you don't know. And to me, that's why feedback is such a gift, right? Because, you know, some people, I know you had a the, you know, the guest, I forget her name, but she was the contestant survivor recently, which I didn't get the chance to, to see the Australian version, but it sounded super cool. And she describes herself as an empath, right? someone who can really feel and experience, you know, other people through, through her own eyes. And, and I'm not an empath. I miss things all the time. You know, I, you know, some person was really struggling. They were really unhappy. I made, it, made them really upset with the comment I made. And I might be none the wiser because I didn't see it. I was too busy. And then like, I've hurt them because I'm their boss and they respect me. And this has happened many times, particularly earlier on my management career. And obviously I'm trying to grow as an empath. Uh, I'm not making excuses for my lack of, uh, you know, emotional intelligence or an area where I'm trying to grow. But I know the greatest gift I can give to myself and the people around me is to create an environment where people tell me what I need to hear as early as possible. And so for me, uh, what I've done, for example, in Domain is I'm trying to find folks in the business who, who basically are a lot more connected and can tell me anonymously, hey, John, here's what's going on. Or you said that, like that really, that really ticked people off. But ideally, I create the environment where everyone who's reporting to me feels not only that they can, but they should. And I will celebrate them telling me the things that I need to hear, but I might be aware of. That's what I want to do. And so a lot of that's a mindset, a lot of that's at celebrating that and, 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 and rewarding that and creating that environment. But I like to have like a formal structure. You know, it's in the calendar. It's not the same as our one-to-ones every four to six weeks. It's even labeled two-way feedback. So everyone knows it's not just me giving feedback there. And it's there where I want to give permission and encouragement for that to happen. And people know it's on the agenda and they prepare for it. And I prepare, you know, feedback back as well. I love that idea of not being afraid of feedback and not just viewing it as a gift, but actually celebrating it because I love what you just said about you don't know what you don't know. And I guess, you know, like I always say to everyone, well, everything's a test till it's not. But if you don't know when something becomes not a test, then how do you ever know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about whatever great mistakes in history you want to think about, whether it's sports or politics or, or, or military or things like that, like if only they'd known, if someone had told them, right? Like, and, and I think for me, I've, made it, I've already made enough mistakes on the small stage that as I get the chance to lead bigger and bigger teams, the more important is that I get to know, not even just for myself, because a mistake that I make ultimately affects other people, affects my team, my consumers. Like I have a responsibility to prevent those before they happen. This is about doing that the best we can. All right. So let's park Google for a moment and talk about <laughs> Uber. Uh, yeah. So what attracted you to Uber at the time? I think there's a few things. I think with any great career move, there's there's a push and a pull, right? And and uh, I think you know one of the things that that we hadn't spoken with Google is like why leave if you've been there for so long. The right is like, I never had a single job at Google. I had like seven or eight different jobs that went for 18 to 24 months. And at every single junction, when I got to that end of that 18, 24 months, I would think about where's the next best place in the world for me to go. And that wasn't just Google. That wasn't just the US. That was everything. It just so happened that Google just does an amazing job of creative environment where just as you're kind of reaching the, the learning plateau in one area, you know, you're becoming aware of other places and you're building a network and people are coming to you, Right. So I think the reason why ultimately I, I joined Uber, part of it was like at Google, due to some of these changes, you change the market, that next great step up just wasn't there for me at that time. 
right? So I think that's an important part to say the story. And I think that's true for all of us. And I tell my team the same. I desperately want to keep them a domain. We have a lovely team here, but you've got to make sure the next place you go is the best place in the world. And hopefully that's with me, but if it's not, you know, it's my loss, right? I think Uber is kind of a very interesting company. I mean, at that time, this is a few years ago now, they were really, really growing. Uh, right now, with 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 uh, with obviously with COVID, it's a challenge. They are still growing, but it's 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 difficult. At that time, it was growing gangbusters, and particularly the area that I was brought into, which was kind of running Uber for business. It's called these are business customers, large customers around the world who use Uber for for business travel or food purposes. Right, you know, I was brought in to run global accounts and customer engineering again, primarily because of that Google experience, because I've been to build a twenty thousand strong like partner network of folks who were using Google to serve their end customers. In this case, is using Uber to serve their employees or their end customers. And so there's a big kind of mutual attraction. Uber is very Google-like. It's super geeky. Uh, it super values their customers. Uh, they're very analytic, very, very, very kind of like data-driven. They really value the background, the kind of tech analytical background that I bring. But they also really aspire to be a leadership battery like Google does, like Stanford does. Uh, and so there was a lot of mutual attraction and, and I knew a lot of people in that leadership team. So it was a, it was a great hand in glove fit. I mean, Uber is an interesting, uh, I think it really is an interesting case study in a lot of ways in the real estate industry. Like on on one level, you've got Uber um, satisfied some very unmet needs of consumers, um, you know, by the taxi industry and also by the courier industry. And yeah. and thank you for Uber Eats from the food delivery industry. <laughs> <laughs> now I know who to thank for that. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> so um, and then on a second level, like, you know, I think something interesting about Uber is is the levels of service with Uber. You know, some people are happy with an Uber X. Some people are happy with a line bike down the road. They've got them here on the Gold Coast. Some people are happy with an Uber Black, um, you know, so th- there was a lot of, there's a lot of layers to Uber, which are really interesting. What do yeah. you think are the key lessons from Uber that real estate agents should be aware of? Or what do you think might be the unmet needs that, you know, that people could start building for in the future? That's a big That's question, good. I know. So l- let me answer the second question by kind of answering the first one which is what I, what I really took away from my time at Uber, even more so my time at Google, is that the world is created by a series of multi-party markets, right? So you think of how Uber structured itself. There's like about a thousand cities, you know, like Sydney, like the Gold Coast, you know, and each of those is a market where customers are bringing needs that need to met, transportation, food needs, et cetera. And there are people who want to meet those needs, like drivers and partners and things like that, who themselves have needs about current liability, flexibility, how much money they earn, insurance, and things of that nature. And I think what Uber was really able to do is think about how market failure can be, can be uh, replaced by kind of like markets that really work. And you give the example, like, I can't write a tax on New Year's Eve, you know, and how Uber's been able to kind of, but, but kind of overcome that through technology that brings kind of markets and people together. Um, and I think there's so much that we can learn in all industries, but particularly real estate from Uber, right? So let's take your example of kind of levels of service. I've spoken to so many real estate agents, particularly principals, uh, and I, I asked them the same question, which is like, what could Domain do or any company do that would just make you ecstatic? And some of them are asking for cheaper and cheaper, cheaper stuff. It's like, hey, look, how do I get more listings out there at a lower price or only paper performance? And some of them, some just amazing real estate principals are saying, hey, look, actually, like there are people out there, there are vendors out there who want to spend $50,000, $100,000 a listing. 
because there's value at being the top result. There's value at having the name and lights. And both for the vendor and for the, for the agency, that's something they really value. And who's right? Like, everyone's right. These are all needs that actually are particularly market niches. Some are large and some are small. And so if you think what that means from a domain point of view, what success looks like is trying to create an environment where we can understand what the unmet needs are, creating that, that infrastructure so we can prioritize which products are going to have the biggest bang for their buck, and then creating services. So this is the customer engineering team that I ran, where if you've got a product that's good, it doesn't quite meet the need of this particular customer. How do you kind of bridge the gap through customization so people are as happy as possible and can therefore kind of really uh, help their customers in the best possible way? Yeah, I think, you know, what what you're describing there is the um, Uber Black versus Uber X or Uber, could there be an Uber limousine in the future maybe or an Uber, <laughs> an Uber G wagon? But, um, you know, there is a different there is a different service there for, for every different type of customer. I think, you know, maybe if you could define your service and, and meet that service that, you know, if, if I was expecting Uber X, I'd, I'd love Uber X. Or if I was expecting Uber Black, it better damn well be Uber Black. Is that the sort of thinking that you're going through? I think at Domain, we're really blessed to have a, 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 a lot of different products, right? We have our core listings products, which are also kind of listed platinum, gold, silver, et cetera. We have a new set of really exciting products where it's kind of real-time agent or price finder that are meeting the same customers, agents and their, and their vendors with different needs. And so for me, as someone who has the privilege of coming into that legacy and going, wow, we have these portfolio products, what do we do? The first thing that I'm trying to understand is I am meeting multiple needs. So I have to ask the question for the agents that we have, to what extent are they happy or unhappy with the, with the products we have? What could make them ecstatic? What are the things in our products that are causing them friction? And, and how much would it cost for a development point of view to give them exactly what they wanted to get that, that step closer? So that's one part of the market. You know, I think the other part of the market is we have a set of investors, we're a publicly listed company, investors that want to make a return investment and they invest in us because they see us as a, a leader in a growing industry that can provide a, an increased run rate of return. What kind of investment capital are they investing and what return do they expect? For example, are they happy for me to spend a few million dollars to improve the product, which may not give them any profit in that product for a few years, but would then give them wild products uh, and profits in five or 10 years' time? So me as a, as a leader, working with, with Jason, work with the, the, the C-suite and, and the CFO, we're crafting this market. And I think for me, I'm really excited because I see from our investor point of view, people just believe in real estate. They believe in domain. They believe there's so much unmet potential in a market that continues to grow and defy expectations. But also from the agent side, with this combination of like, hey, they're, they're happy, but they just want more. And the, the, the prop tech people that you speak to, that the growing number of prop tech companies uh, you know, in Australia and the way that the listings companies, the portals continue to grow, I think it's all testament that, yeah, it's good, but how can we have much more? I think my job is to create and, and meet that market. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about domain now and, and the Australian market. What are going, you know, apart from what we've just talked about, obviously, what do you think are your key areas of focus for the next few years? I think a, a, a really significant one is helping agents be successful. And let's talk about the, the two parts of that. Helping being agents successful by kind of helping them get the listing, you know, expose that listing to as many people as possible, sell the house for the best price for the vendor you know, and the customer. Right? So I think that's kind of our, our core business. That's the, the domain lift out you know, that, that folks like, like you and me kind of grew up with. And I think 
you know, what, what we want to do in that space is make sure we are offering a greater audience with easy to use products uh, and more and more products like things such as social boost and early access, which allow kind of like in this case, agents be more effective with their listings and help their end customers and their vendors be even more successful. So for me, that's a big focus. That's our kind of bread and butter. Uh, and, and, I, and, and we are going to talk about some of the new products, but I want to make sure that folks understand. And, and, and my job is to make sure that our existing customers get even happier you know, with the products they've been using for us for decades. I think there's this emerging world of, let's call it, um, you know, agent solutions, you know, which is where we are trying to help agents do better work in less than half the time through technology. You know, a lot of agents, they kind of work out of their car. How do we optimize things that can be done from a phone or an iPad? You know, how do we make sure that as few paper things need to happen, but people have the assurance that things are going to break or there'll be downtime, right? And so we've got all these really interesting uh, products like Price Finder and, and Real-Time Agent and some new ones like Market Now, you know, where these are all designed to help agents be more effective, uh, you know, in half the time. So that's kind of you know, my hope is to really accelerate uh, and improve, you know, those products and how much they're adopted. And so 2022 is, I guess, shaping up to be a bit of an interesting year in real estate again. What are your, what are your thoughts on the immediate future of the industry? Yeah, yeah. I think the immediate thoughts are pretty excited, right? So uh, that momentum that was a lot of pent up during lockdown, uh, you know, those things are, are continuing. We're, we're even seeing early on, like just it's not like it all got used up in 2021. In 2022, people are hitting the ground running. We're seeing, you know, more auctions, more listings coming on board. So very, very exciting. So I think part of it is like as agents are out there sprinting and kind of satisfying that demand out there, how do we make their lives easier and how do we help them be even more effective? Because their time is the most precious asset. So I think that's one thing, which is not that different to what was happening before, but we're going to make sure we don't lose sight. You know, uh, there's lots of new stuff, but what is what is the core business you know going to offer? So I think that's that's kind of one thing. I think I'm really excited by uh, you know COVID has presented a lot of threats and a lot of you know unhappiness, but there's been some really exciting things like seeing how it's made work from home more of a thing, and therefore how that's unlocked regions and and some of the further out cities. It's really really exciting. And we're doing some partnerships there and, and helping some of those folks make sure that, you know, whether you're out in the country or, or, or different states that are maybe less, less heard of, uh, that, that folks who want to live out there and, and, and continue their job based in city, but kind of, you know, be working elsewhere, uh, that the domain can be a portal where they can find those listings too. And investors who want to ride those waves can do that too. So what you'll see from us is continue to make those products and the management of those customers in those areas even stronger, but also kind of create information, give insights you know, into the market to help people make decisions about investing uh, and about where they might move next. Are there any new things you can sort of sneak uh -huh. us in on a little bit or is it all sort um, of? I, I, I do have a chat with our, with our communication team as to how much, you know, how much leg we can show. <laughs> I think that is uh, probably not as much as, as, as we'd like to. Uh, you know, I'm super excited at our roadmap. Um, yeah. I think some of the things that you should uh, expect from us uh, is more partnerships with existing other companies out there, all right? So for example, we, we don't have a, a CRM, a customer relationship management tool, uh, you know, out, out, out there. Uh, you know, our job is to make sure our products like real-time agent partner really well, just work seamlessly, you know, with those. And there are, other, there are other companies that we compete with in the market, you know, whether it's Realtor or things like that. 
we want to make sure that whether you use us for some or all of your agent solutions, that it just works for you. Because ultimately, it's about saving your time. And that doesn't mean 100% domain products. That could be a mix of each. These are amazing products, amazing competitors. We want to make sure we play well with the ecosystem. So expect to see us both continue to improve our products so we feel we are best in class, but make sure we work well with other products, whether it's the marketing side or agent solution side. So as you are building your business, whether you're you know, Ray White building kind of nurture cloud, or you've got you know, one or two agents working for you, you know, and you're building your own set of SaaS solutions, it's just work, get out of the way so you can be really effective. That's where you'll see me invest a lot of my time in domains as well. To have someone of your caliber on board, um, domain are very lucky, um, you know, with all those years yeah. of experience in Silicon Valley and, and things like that. And um, I guess I, I want to thank you for sharing some of your insights and your knowledge here with us today. I asked yes, one final question of all of my guests because we've covered a we've actually covered a lot of stuff. This just hasn't been idle chit chat. We've been to Google, we've been to <laughs> Uber, we've been through leadership, we've 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 done all that stuff. Um, what is one thing that you'd like to leave everybody with today? So I was wrestling with this when I was uh, you know uh, you know thinking about this on the weekend and knowing this question would come. Can I can I say two? Is that is that okay to be talking? Yep, I'll let you have two. Yep. <laughs> I think the first thing comes back to, to development. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you're, 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 you're here because you have a great background, you have a great future ahead of you. And just what I challenge you is make sure that you are in the best possible place for yourself, whether that's kind of running a business, working for someone else, working in industry, working for a big company like Domain. There are so many opportunities out there. The job market is super hot, right? So invest in yourself. And, and, and you, you can't do that unless you sit back and ask those big questions. What do I want in my life? What's the five-year plan? What does my spouse want? What does my family want? And there's no one right answer and it'll keep changing. But something which I encourage my team to do, which ultimately means that some of them end up leaving, but more of them end up staying, is like, don't just stay where you are because the status quo, you're far, far too valuable, you know, for that. You know, so please invest in that. And, you know, I'm sure uh, you, you can look up on LinkedIn and, and, and we'll share some of those details around. But like, find mentors in the industry who can help you you know, about that and, and, and be selfish, engage what's the thing for yourself and your family. So that's kind of one thing, which particularly during kind of COVID times in this job market, I do want to say whatever position you're in, make sure you're doing the best. Don't look back at the end of your life. I'm, I'm reading this book right now uh, called the, uh, the, top, the Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Uh, and it's an amazing book. And so much of that, like, I wish I'd stepped out while I had the chance and I'd encourage you to do that, you know, in, in, in all of your life, but in particular work for now. I think on the flip side, which is the corollary of that is just be thankful. We're always grinding. We're thinking about what we have, the, the, the house we want to sell, the business we want to build, and, and we should, right? And ambition is part of what makes us great. It's part of what makes great sports teams and companies and things like that. But if you listen to this podcast, and I think it's a, it's a pretty, pretty impressive set of audience, you're here because someone's invested in you, uh, because many people have, because you're lucky, uh, because you've got people around you who believe in you, because you're in a job, and you might not think it's the greatest job on earth, or maybe it does, but it's a job where like you're adding real impact, where someone is paying you to do work that you're well trained to do, where you're educated to do so. And so we can go through our lives and always think about what we don't have. But I'd encourage you, you know, uh, be thankful. Um, there's so much to be thankful for. Even in COVID with all the, the stress and the, 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 the problems that it brings, we're lucky to be alive. We're lucky to be alive at a time like now in an industry like we are now. Uh, I'm so thankful, you know, to be back in Australia, uh, to be, you know, in this job, uh, to have a chance to lead a few hundred folks and to be learning and having the time of my life doing it. And I know one day I'll look back and be more even thankful for the opportunity after it's over. But hopefully while we're going, uh, I can just really embrace and just be thankful for every single day that we 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're super thankful that um, I, I am thankful that I get the opportunity to talk to to people like you um, every week. It's it's been an amazing amazing chat, um, John Fung. Thank you so much. Thanks, thanks, Samantha. Thanks to all the team. Uh, you guys do amazing work, and we're really grateful to have uh, your team uh, just as influencing and continue to up level uh, the the professionals industry. So, thanks for being on board. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. With thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joinelitagent.com.